All right, Jared, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your amazing hand on our lives. We thank you for your purpose in the city of Berkeley. We thank you for your purpose with your children all over the world. We ask, God, that you would uh, open our minds and our hearts today so that we could see the bigger family, the bigger story that we're a part of. And, God, that you'd give us great inspiration and great vision for being overcomers, powerful people who are able to move mountains in our own family, in our own life, and in the lives of others. We ask you, Jesus, to make us bold, strong, and big like you were when you were here. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come in and minister to each of us in your own way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm excited to talk to you guys today. Uh, today is going to be an important day for us on a, on a couple of levels. What we've been doing over the past, gosh, I feel like it's been about a month, is we've been talking about worship, and, and the, the series on the, and the period of talking about worship has been so beautiful for me. We talked about the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence being kind of the centerpiece of Israel. Today we're going to transition into praise, and, and It'll be a long story about Joshua, but we're going to talk about praise and the power of praise. And what I want it to do for you is I want it to mark you today because I really believe that there's a generation that we're a part of, that their joy and celebration and praise and gratitude towards God will be their calling card, their earmark. They won't be ones that just are known because of their, their holy devotion to God, they won't be ones that are known because of their great revelation about Scripture. There will be joy and celebration that follows them everywhere they go. And I have to wonder about a people who declare that God is their king, and it's the God who created the whole universe, but they're sad, heavy, and burdened. I feel like if we were walking with Jesus when he was walking here, we'd be walking with someone that would bring joy not only to us, but to everyone he was around. I think it's easy for us to focus in on Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees and say he was a really intense guy who was really after these people. But if we look at the details, he was really focused on the religious institution when he was really harsh and critical. When he was with the normal people, the common people, when he was with the people that were willing to follow him, it says that joy was left everywhere he went. So there was this spirit of celebration and overwhelming like victory that Jesus brought with him wherever he, he went. And then when his disciples went, the same was true of them. So praise, it's something that God designed. It's something that he introduces to us in the Bible. It's a concept we've been touching on when we talk about worship, that we as these little human vessels can do something that God takes notice of and appreciates. Praise is something that only a God like ours could design. It's nothing I would come up with where if I sing, I dance, I celebrate, that somehow is like giving something of value to someone else. But that's what God has done when he designed praise. And what is praise? Praise is like, just think of the most simple celebratory exclamation of your, your human being. We often describe it as like a, a style or form of worship, but it's so much more than that. In worship and praise, if we were to talk just about the musical aspects of it, worship is more directed in a solemn way in, in, a, in a posture of like a kneeled down posture of reverence towards a God who's really deserving of reverence. Praise is what precedes that closeness to him, and praise is something that's much more celebratory about the bigger picture and the bigger version of God that we experience every day when we look outside. 
And so you can't have a full version of worship if you don't have praise. They are both interconnected. We see this when we look at Moses' tabernacle. It says, and I, we've referenced this before, we'll enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. That's referencing that tabernacle. And we remember that as we get towards the Ark of the Covenant, that's where real worship exists, the incense of prayer and, and the devotion of a real solemn interaction. But there's something about praise that God he peppers all over the Bible. And it's not just a way of singing songs, but it's a posture, it's a heart position, and it's actually an ingredient that God requires for all of us in order to do the life he's called us individually to. It's not a church service version of activity. Praise is something that's, that has to first develop in your spirit and be fundamental to who you are. And then out of that redefinition of who you are, there's connection to God that can happen through an expression like singing or through an expression like dance, clapping, running, jumping, laughing. And so I want to introduce you guys over the course of seven weeks to praise. It's a huge topic. It's so, 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 so important. This is week one of seven. So now you've all committed to a seven-week <laughs> attendance course. Here you are. You're all here. You're signed up. At the end of these seven weeks, you'll be able to graduate and re reassess your life. But I want you guys to understand there is, there is power in the kingdom of God, but it, the power in the kingdom of God is it's God's power. It's him moving through the lives of men and women. What men and women do when he, he moves through us usually is obey. It's not that we do some magical feat or we say some perfect equation. It's that he works through us and he moves through us to accomplish things. That's what we're going to see with Joshua. And I just want you to know we're going to come to praise as we get through this story and I want you to realize the significance and importance of it in God's accomplishing, not just for Joshua, but for all the people of Israel, what he had intended to accomplish for generations, for generations. All right. That was a great intro. Are you guys ready? Let's do this. All right. Israel. Say Israel. Israel. Okay. Turn to somebody near you and say, you are Israel. You are Israel. So Israel, your story precedes you. Israel, your story precedes you. All right. Why are we Israel? It's important that we understand that we're Israel because when we, we allow ourselves to be adopted into the family of God, when we say, Jesus, I want you to be king of my life and I want to be one of your children, we're suddenly grafted in to a family that God has been working on and with for thousands of years. Thousands of years. And so if we don't understand that we are part of a larger family and a larger story, we can be lost. Although we are understanding that we love God and we know who Jesus is. But if we don't believe that we're part of a bigger story and a bigger picture... We can be lonely orphans even though there's a huge family and a huge story that came before us. So we started, we said, Israel, your story precedes you. Let's read this. 
When all the kings of the Amorites beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the Israelites. What precedes this is Moses wandering through the desert for 40 years with the Israelites. Moses gives his final declaration in Deuteronomy and he tells them, you're going to go on to fulfill the purpose I have for you. Not just me, but God. He's been leading us all these years with purpose and intent. That purpose and intent is not lost, but he's going to send you over the Jordan and you're going to take the promised land. Joshua becomes the inherited leader of the group. And something interesting happens. It's an absolutely beautiful story. It's in the first few books of Joshua. Joshua comes to the Jordan River, and with very specific instruction, he stands in the Jordan River. The Jordan River is a big river. The season which he's, he's standing in it, it's typically a season it's overflowing over the banks. It's high tide, high rush of water. He stands in the middle of the river, and God, like he did at the Red Sea, stops the water. It's completely dried up, and it allows all of Israel to pass over the water. It's a really interesting moment because we realize for a whole generation, 40 years, their parents had been wandering around hoping God would take them into the promised land. And in this moment, they all know that something generational and maybe even beyond generational is beginning for the again in their lifetime. See, they had grown up just knowing a God who led them around in the desert. They watched their parents follow but resist. Fast forward to this moment and it's you, Israel. Israel now alive, now in the desert, now under the leadership of Joshua. And you see this river dry up. You were too young to have seen the Red Sea dry up the last time. You heard the stories, and then you felt the hardship of living in a wilderness. And so you knew that your family was part of this large story of deliverance and this large story that God had, had worked through Moses. But you only really had known pain, and you'd only really known confusion. And you'd also known that God was big and powerful, but it wasn't leading us necessarily anywhere there was somewhere we were supposed to go, but for whatever reason, he was holding that back. Well, in this moment, Joshua stands in the river. It stops, and they all cross over, and they're put on notice that today is a new day. Something is about to change. Everything that God had promised now is possibly coming to us. And what I think is really important to see in this little bit of, this little moment in Scripture, is it wasn't just for the people of Israel. Look at that, look at the underlines up there. Focus our attention on the second part. It says, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them. This is talking about the people who occupied the territory Israel was going into. And so somehow, word got out, not just that the Israelites had crossed over the Jordan, for the first time in 40 years, but that God had actually stopped the water. 
God does a miracle that precedes any real action in terms of conquest. He does a miracle that allows them to take their first steps into the promise, and everyone on the enemy's side is notified. And it has an immediate and powerful effect. I want you to think for a moment, God has massive dreams for your family line, your life. He does not look at you and say, insignificant, small, I hope they make it to heaven. I hope they diet well and have a healthy life. Maybe they get past 50, and that would be awesome for them. He looks at you and he's like, 50 generations I've been watching this family, and I've been waiting for the promises that came way before this family was even alive enough to, to understand it. Or maybe it was a promise that was just for your parents, but you were too small as they walked through their, their years of hardship. And he looks at you and he goes, it's your time to fulfill this great promise. And so often we forget that we're part of a big family. We think it's just me and man, I have all of this stuff. I'm fighting, resisting, just trying to stay maybe holy, just trying maybe to stay on track and to be, be together. And we think it's just tough out here on our own, but what we're forgetting is generations before us had a promise that God has never forgotten, nor will he ever forget, and he's doing things on your behalf because of the family that came before you that may or may not have accomplished all of their purpose. But he's not ever going to stop until it's done. And your purpose is not just to make some money and to have a decent life. Your purpose is to accomplish mighty, mighty works and to live big, big dreams. And so for some of us, though, we're so used to being alone and we're used to being on our own. And I just The first thing I want to awaken us to today is that God has grafted you into a large family. You are part of a long promise. He has overcoming in mind when he thinks of you. He isn't interested in your struggle. He's interested in the generations of freedom and celebration and joy that he's promised after you and through your life. And he's doing and has done miracles for you. And you are not alone. And all of the enemy knows what God is already doing on your behalf. And so when God calls Joshua and Israel into the promised land, it's almost like he sends out silent messengers and all of the people that inhabit that land start to tremble in fear. And you guys, you know what happens when, when someone's afraid? Usually it's one or two reactions, fight or flight. Oh, so often when we have a promise over our lives, we think of the enemies that we face and we see what is going on in them and it turns us into small people because we're afraid. But what's actually happening is they're experiencing the same fear, and you're seeing their fight, and they're posturing, and they're loud, and they come at you with relentlessness, but it's because they know God is working on your behalf, and if you're courageous enough to take one step forward, the army of God is behind you, so they begin to tremble long before you ever even approach your promised land. And so you're not alone. There's a big army with you. There's a big promise on you. And you should never, ever be afraid. Ah, oh, but this is you now. 
Not Israel. Not the Israel version of you. This is, this is you in your low point. But you don't, Vince, that's awesome. That was so awesome. That was the coolest story ever. Maybe that applies to you, but you really don't know my story. I struggle with, I've been defined by, my family did, my generation after generation after generation is subject to, I have failed in these ways. That is so often your response. You're not alone with that response. Don't feel condemned because you've, you've leaned on what you've seen, like Israel may have leaned on what they watched their parents endure and said, well, does miracles even happen for us? Will we ever even consider this promised land story? Don't think it's abnormal to have a challenge believing that God has a bigger plan for you. You're not alone. Whoa. Where do we go? Guys, this is working so well. <laughs> you guys ever given presentations in class and you're all stressed out beforehand? I'm not stressed out at all. I think it's kind of funny. I, but you guys, it's the best when this kind of stuff happens and you're doing like speech class. I used to teach speech class and, and people would shake when they were talking. Was that you? Was that you? All right, there we go. All right, there we go. For the Israelites traveled 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the warriors who came out of Egypt, perished. These are your parents. Say my parents. If, that, if that's like a sensitive thing, don't let this be a sensitive thing. My, my, my parents have passed away too. It's not, I'm not, this is not a literal thing. This is, we're trying to put ourselves in the seat of Israel, this, this generation who's inheriting a promise. Until all the nation, the warriors who came out of Egypt, perished, not having listened to the voice of God, voice of the Lord. To them the Lord swore that he would not let them see the land that he had sworn to their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. See, I think so oftentimes we excuse ourselves from great things in God because we just look at our current moment. And your current moment often is more defined by your inheritance than it is by God doing miracles. It's like I have a certain education, I grew up in a certain place, I had certain relationships, and suddenly I find myself at a certain point in life. And I'm challenged to think that God's big promises, maybe I dreamt when I was a little kid, could ever come to pass. But I'm telling you, you're not alone. Israel actually watched their whole generation die, and God himself swore, I will never give this generation their promise. But this next verse is so awesome. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place. Say raised up in their place. God never stops if he has a promise for you or for people. He will never, ever give up. And so it's our opportunity as children of God to take on that calling. And so it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Okay, I'm going to give you a two-minute, you guys know what circumcision is, I'm not going to talk about that, but I want to give you the spiritual connection with that. I think it's really interesting that 
all, a whole generation hadn't been circumcised, although their family had been following God around for 40 years. This was a fundamental piece of Abraham and generations after him that, that was their kind of earmark of sanctification and being set apart. Somehow, somehow, a whole generation failed to be clean and cleansed. So circumcision in the New Testament and New Covenant, what it speaks of is our hearts. So there's a real parallel here. The idea is maybe your family didn't give you a great setup. Maybe you for years have just been living under the curse and weight of generations who haven't followed him well. This is who Israel was the day that God meets Joshua and says, I'm now ready for you to take over the promise and conquer, just like I had intended 40 years ago. Israel was so much less qualified in that moment than their parents were when they were set free from slavery. They actually had a generation who had, had compromised their connection with God and failed to obey his voice with real, real strong voice showing up on the mountain, showing up in person. God was so loud and so clear, and he just said, follow me, Moses, follow me, Israelites. I'm going to give you a promised land. And even with all these signs and wonders, water being com coming out of rocks, birds falling out of the sky, they were being fed miraculously in the wilderness for 40 years. They wouldn't obey him. That is a huge violation. These were people who blatantly turned their backs on God. So you have a generation that comes after them who's inherited that. It's like my dad knew you face to face or saw you on a mountain burning, and he was like, don't want anything to do with you. And so he didn't get me circumcised. He actually told me to be afraid and don't talk to God. It's scary up there. That's Moses' job. That's not for us. That's for these special people. Moses does it. Stay out of the way. Stay quiet. In fact, the ones that got loud, we saw a few of them swallowed up by an earthquake. It gets weird around here. Just, just stay small. Stay small. That was their inheritance. They knew there was a larger story. They knew there was a bigger purpose and a bigger promise. But there was something going on where God said, it's time now for me to call you back. It's time today for me to call you back. And so I want you to see what Joshua does. He acknowledges it's this generation. We are the ones that God is going to raise up. And he says, all of us men need to be circumcised. And so in our generation, all of us men and women with our hearts, we need to turn to God and say, God, forgive me of all of my sin. I need to be cleansed and forgiven because I believe that today, from this day forward, you can call me into the great dreams that you have, not just for me, but for my family and my life. But it requires this repentance and it requires this cleansing. And so Joshua's first step is he gets the team cleaned up. The Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt. So after they're circumcised, after they yield to a painful reality that I have turned my back from you and they turn back to God and they do it with an act of circumcision. 
God says to, just, to Joshua, everything that had attached itself to you from the days of Egypt is gone. Everything is gone. Not just for you, Joshua, the anointed leader who everyone acknowledges hears from me. The whole family line. All of them are clean because they turned back when I said turn back. That's all it takes, guys. I don't care what you've done. I really don't. There is nothing you can do that disqualifies you from being called back to the great promise God has over your life. It's just, it's so important to understand it's a pattern that God will not relent on. You can't have your own way and follow the hymn as king. You have to just yield, and it's a personal walk. And so it's not just about abstinence and holiness in a natural sense. It's about yielding and acknowledging sin and, and hard-heartedness. If you're willing to do it, you, you align your heart, not just your body, with a family of Israel that has promise. But you got to do it. you got to be serious about it because it's big stakes. Today I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt. All right. Israel. Say Israel. Israel. Turn to your neighbor and see if they're still Israel or if they've given up yet. Are you, ask them, are you still Israel? <laughs> All right. I see, I see a couple who gave up, but we get, most of us are still Israel. I'm okay. All right. Say the army of the Lord is with you. All right. The army of the Lord is with you. Once when Joshua was by Jericho, he looked up. Okay, before we dive into this, I just don't, don't read it. It's a really awesome. I'm, we're going to read it in a second. Um, everything was on the line. Everything. At this moment, it wasn't just about us following God in the desert with our parents anymore. It was about we're on our own now. We're making a decision not to be freed by God like our parents were because there's a certain act of courage in, in running out of your slave quarters and following all of your family with Moses into the desert but there's a lot of momentum there that doesn't require a lot of, I should think twice about this. There was some courage, there was some endurance, but this next generation has a different requirement on them. They've been living, not comfortably, but they've been living off their family's story. What their family had inherited, they inherited. Their family inherited birds, in the sky, manna on the ground. Their family inherited the Ark of the Covenant with God's presence that was scary but real. But now it's time for them to step forward and do something that maybe was really bigger than them and preceded them, but it requires something of them that even their parents had never had to face. They had to go to a place of courage and strength and fearlessness that truthfully their family had never really known. Joshua was first among these. Joshua was faithful to serve under Moses. He was a great leader, Moses. Moses was a great leader. Joshua was a great side man. 
low expectations but high values. All he had to do was show up, and he got the blessing that Moses had earned. Moses meets with God in his 120th year, and the Bible says he was strong and clear-minded. Joshua was there. He was the one likely that was recording the book of Deuteronomy. He, he gets this whole download. He's, he's there, and he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't need to die. Why would you die right now? This is a really bad time, Moses, for you to die. You can still walk just fine. We can, all we're going to do is walk over that river, and then God will come and strike them all down like he did in other times and other ways. You've got the staff. You're good in the presence. You can talk to them. I'm, I can just hang out nearby. Joshua, though, was faced with an opportunity to step into that seat. The responsibility required more of Joshua probably than he'd ever imagined because he had to go over a river and into the enemy's territory. And when I say territory, it's physically their land, their warrior and war warring tribes. They possessed territory and they violently defended it. These are, these are established nations that are not interested in giving up their land. So Joshua knows this. The Israelites know this. And I'll tell you guys, I, I want to I put your life in perspective. There's been generations of Christians that have come before you. They've learned things about prayer. They've learned things about worship. They've done things that are really beautiful and revelatory and, and kind of cutting edge for their generations. The history of revival in America is so beautiful, and not just America, worldwide. But there's something that's, that's happening in this generation that you're a part of that you have to understand in order to understand your life. The thing that's different about us is God has decided that it's time for him to arrive in the same way that he arrived when the disciples stepped out after his resurrection. There was a generation after Jesus' resurrection who moved in signs, wonders, miracles. They gave everything of themselves to the cause of the kingdom. They surrendered all of their personal comforts and dreams in order to yield to the Holy Spirit, and they saw him back them up over and over and over again. They had intimacy with Jesus himself. Peter and the other disciples literally walked with him. When he ascended, they continued to commune with God in prayer. They continued to connect with the Holy Spirit and be led by him in such a profound way that they would, they would go anywhere and do anything, even to the point where martyrdom was common amongst those original disciples. They had, they had transitioned from this natural kingdom into an eternal kingdom, but they were still living here on earth. And God, for generations, has said, I want to restore like the full armor and the full authority of the kingdom of God to my people. But I need a people who are willing. I need a people who are willing to go all in like they were all in. And so what happens in the enemy's camp when there's an announcement that a miraculous God is moving on, the, on behalf of a generation in order to accomplish this great promise where God endorses them to miraculously change every environment they're in. The enemy, in their way, hears and they're notified and fear strikes them. 
It says their spirits turn into water. They were strong and, and stone-like. But hearing the news of a generation like yours that's called to these great miraculous things, this great era of overcoming every vice, every shortcoming, in the name of a greater kingdom, the enemy begins to tremble in fear. And so out of a place of fear, they react in arrogance and aggression. You've been on the, on the street. You've seen fights. Usually it's, it's fear that's motivating a physical fight. It's not logic. It's not reason. It's intimidation and pain. And so there's aggression. And I just want you to understand you're part of a generation who God called out before you were born and your parents got us to a certain place, but now it's coming to you, and the call to you is backed by a whole lineage of miracles, God showing up in powerful ways, but then it comes to you, and you're beaten daily with a barrage of fear. You're beaten hourly with spirits of lust and intimidation. You wonder why you're so gripped by certain things when your heart is so pure and wanting the greater things of God. It's not a simple life and a simple moment we live in. There's so many of us that are under the weight of history and we say, our history is broken. I'm not even circumcised. I'm not cleansed. And all you can focus on is this weight and this failure and this pain and this intensity that feels like it comes after you over and over and over again. But I'm telling you, it's because there's a great moment right in front of you. It's right now. And this moment is so big, guys, that, that God is eager to invite you to take this next step forward like Joshua did. And then all of his family does with him. Joshua, he's, he's crossed the river, and this is, this is absolutely amazing. It says, once when Joshua was by Jericho, by Jericho, right? This is the place he's supposed to take over. The conquest is coming. They're gonna, this is the land of their inheritance. So he, he's by it. He's not there yet. They're moving in that direction. He looked up and he saw a man standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went to him. He didn't run from him. He continued forward to him. And he said to him, are you one of us or one of our adversaries? Joshua is only thinking in two planes at this moment. He's focused on this battle that he's in. It's a very natural human battle. It's an assignment. He's been given an assignment. And it's an intense assignment. It's really natural for his mind to be there. And I'll tell you guys, some of you, it's funny, you're not called to like war, like Joshua was called to, but you're called into arenas that require massive heavenly support in order to break down those arenas for the kingdom. And so some of you are facing this crazy resistance, and you go, wait, no, Vince, like, okay, this is really spiritual and intense. Can we just talk human terms for a moment? Like, I got a degree in chemistry. I want to be a chemical scientist of some sort. Did I say that good? 
I got a degree in English. I want to be an English teacher. This is really intense. What are you talking about? See, you are designed with a purpose, and you have followed that purpose to this moment. And that this moment has required, to get here, it required a lot of courage. There's a ton of resistance for you to continue forward in your calling, to continue forward in your faith in your calling. And you go, I just, it's me and all of this stuff, I'm trying to move forward. And so what you end up doing is you get on a, a two-dimensional plane, and it's all the natural answers to get through all the natural hurdles. But I want you to understand, God is in, interested, not just in endorsing you, but he's interested in fighting a fight with you and showing you something like he showed Joshua something here. Look at this. Come on, you got it. Come on, there it is. The man replies, neither, which means I'm not on your side or theirs. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped. And he said to him, what do you command your servant, my Lord? This is the moment where Joshua is qualified to enter the battle against Jericho, that city, and take that city. This is the moment for you guys to understand if you endure on the path that you're on and you hold fast to the dreams that God has put in your heart and you hold fast to righteousness, that circumcision we all just went through, we, we value it and we guard it and we protect it. God will show up and tell you that there's a third dimension to this whole thing. And he is actually going to be there with you in this battle. Joshua's, re Joshua's response is the only response. He bows down and he says, what do you want to do? <laughs> That's it. That's all you have to do. What do you command me to do? The commander of the army of the Lord said to jo Joshua, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Oh gosh, this, this is so strange. This, this is where it gets so weird. We're about to go fight, go to war with the people, and kill them all. And Joshua has an encounter with an angel, and he's like, what do we need to do to win this battle? And the angel says, bow down because you're on holy ground. I just, I, I want you to understand, if God has called you to a thing, and a thing is usually a place, it's a relationship, it's a home, it's, it's a life. It involves all of these things. He's concerned with the ground. He wants the ground taken. And you say, well, I, I don't know why I just felt called, I felt like I really wanted to do economics. I don't know why. I don't even have 20 bucks. But I pursued a whole degree in economics. Like, my family's poor. Like, what? Like, I don't know. I don't even know what economics means. I just, that's what I felt like I was supposed to do. That's, that's part of the place God has called you to. And there will be a person there that you'll, you'll marry, and there'll be a family there that you plant, and then there'll be, like, an area where you live and your family's established because of your pursuit of this place that God has actually promised for generations 
And, and it's like, this is the story of God's kingdom taking more ground, one generation after another. The angel had to remind Joshua, it's this ground that God is concerned with, Joshua. And if you acknowledge that he is actually the one that's driving this whole story, he's the one at the center of it, you'll come to realize it's not just me, one angel here, but I'm actually the, the commander of the army of the Lord. And if I'm here, they're all behind me. And there's nothing that will stop God from taking this ground. See, guys, don't be small. Don't be afraid of a teacher that says you're not qualified to move on in this, this field. Don't be afraid of a job that fails and doesn't work out or a relationship that makes you think, I'm never going to have kids or a family. Don't be afraid because God has put something in your heart and, and there's nothing that can stop the commander of the Lord's army from getting that thing accomplished in your generation, Israel. I didn't like your name that much anyway. Israel's a better name. I'm just going to call you all Israel because it's way easier to remember. Israel, Israel, Israel. All of you. The place where you stand is holy. And what did Joshua do? He did so. <laughs> the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have handed Jericho over to you along with its kings and soldiers. Nothing's happened yet, by the way. The army is commanded by an angel who comes to Joshua and says, this is what's been promised for generations. You're on holy ground. You better get down. They stand there for a moment, or he does, and Joshua kneels. And then he goes, see? I've handed Jericho over to you. It was already done in that moment because Joshua got down. It was done. All right, last point. I'm so excited for you guys. I'm so excited because I really understand what God's up to with your lives. He's up to conquest. He's up to taking ground. He's interested in you having the full expression of an over overcoming lifestyle, which includes righteousness, peace, and joy, but it in includes conquest and taking ground. It also includes partnering with him in a generation that's going to be empowered by this mighty army of God and backed up by God's great and long-standing purpose. And so you go, hey, I'm still kind of small. I get your story, but I'm still kind of small. Well, you're in the city of Berkeley today. This is a place God has had his eyes on for a very, very long time. And so sometimes we might be small and be part of a small lineage with a small promise, but there's something in our hearts that said, God, I want to be part of a bigger story and a bigger thing. And so God, he waits and he watches and he says, are they real? Is it true? And if it's true, I might just graft them into this other big story that I got working over here. And he sends you to a place as crazy as Berkeley and he's like, I've been working on that town for a very long time, and I'm really interested in seeing miracle signs and wonders there. I'm interested in seeing families restored, people set free. And if I start it in Berkeley, man, it's going to go everywhere. He, he's been working on something here for a really long time. And so what he may have been up to is grafting you into this large story, just like someone in Israel whose name wasn't Joshua 
See, if you guys get into it, we really just remember Joshua and the, the leaders of the 12 tribes. And we, we pick up some people later in the Bible. But there was thousands of them. And what did they get to do? They got to step foot into Jericho. Because the angel of the Lord's army had already predestined it and preordained it. It was just up to them to be up for the call and to respond. And so a kingdom of priests that are holy. All right, this is the last idea here. Let's read this. This is Exodus. This is Moses talking to Israel. It says, now therefore, if you obey my voice, well, God talking through him, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. Okay, this was God's idea, his intention for Israel. In 1 Peter 2.9, it says something very similar. Peter, talking to the church, he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. All right. So my last point. Thankfully, we were born in, I'm going to say the 1900s, but most of, some of you are the 2000s. How many of you were born in 2000 or later? Raise your hand. Yeah, I like that. I like it. Some of, some of you ladies just admitted your age. That was awesome. Got you to, got you to sneak it out. You weren't born in the 2000s, were you? Oh, you're so, you're so, you're so cute. Here, come on. That make her 23. I'm 44. That would not be right. That's, that, would, that wouldn't be right. All right. Thankfully, we were born when we were born. We weren't born at this story time when Joshua was considering going into, into the, um, Jericho. What happens? You guys should read the rest of the story. It's an amazing story. We may actually spend time on it in, in future weeks. Um, but they go in and they take it over. They, they literally have to wipe out every person that lives there. Take nothing. Destroy the people and restart the land. Um, we live post-resurrection. So what is our responsibility in this long-term story of God's conquest and taking land? This concept that we're priests and we're in a royal priesthood is so fundamental to um, everything that we, we read in the New Testament. The idea is this, and here we go, we're circling back to praise. Priests were set aside to give worship to God. They facilitated worship for Israel, right? That was their whole function. They did not go to war when there was war. They weren't trained with swords. They weren't working out every day doing push-ups and pull-ups. They were priests. They handled sacrifices. They made offerings. That was 100% of their job. In the New Testament, Paul, in the book of Hebrews, Peter here, they refer back to what Moses says, is that God's long-term intention for all of you is that you'd all be a kingdom of priests, holy unto the Lord. This story of Joshua where, where God demonstrates his eternal, not just purpose, but his ways. Joshua and the people of Israel are called to take land. How do they take it? They take it by obeying and yielding and being accompanied 
by an army of angels. And so if you read the story, and many of you have, this is like, a, it's, it's the old, it's a, it's a children's church story. It's like Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. You guys know it? And the walls came tumbling down. I, I'm not even going there today because I assume you guys all know the story. If you don't, read it. It's the next chapter. It's actually this chapter. It's six. They walk around the walls for seven days straight. They walk around the walls for seven days straight each day with the priests blowing shof- uh, horns, shofars. They, they literally march around the walls of the place they're supposed to, to conquer where their enemies are encamped and strengthened. And they walk around it celebrating, blowing a trumpet, saying, we have won. We have won. See, that's what priests can do. They can declare a thing that they know that God has already stated as fact before they see it in reality, and they can celebrate that reality in advance, and then the army of God comes and backs them up and does all the fighting for them. See, in the New Testament, the New Covenant, you see Jesus saying you should turn the other cheek. You should never physically go to war. He doesn't exactly explain it that way, but there's a real, real clear thing that you're not supposed to go fight physically for all your battles. But in the Old Covenant, that's what we did all the time. And so we're born in this day, in this moment. We are not designed to be crusaders where we physically go wage war on anyone who doesn't believe what we believe. And we take over places with violence. It's just the opposite. We're designed to go places in all kinds of different arenas. Some economists, some teachers, some homemakers, some scientists, some whatevers. You guys get it. We're called into all of these arenas, but we're called as a kingdom of priests. And so when we go on assignment, like Joshua and the people of Israel were on assignment, we have to go knowing that God has called us to that arena for conquest. But he's called us for conquest with his promise of backing. He will always be there to support you. He will always be there to make a way. And so the the call for us is to figure this out, that we are here to take ground. We're here to see the sick healed. We're we're here to see those who are oppressed be set free. We're here to find the brokenhearted and to make them whole. We're here to go search out the ones who are broken and need to be restored in all of these arenas, in all of these places. And we don't do it with violence by declaring, Jesus is king, get saved, or go to hell. Good luck. That's violence. That's violence. You are going to hell if you don't follow me. That is the old covenant. The new covenant is I bring the life and joy and hope of God into these places of brokenness, and I declare this place, this land is holy. My workplace is holy. My school, my, my dorm, my, the people I work with, my family, this is a holy ground. And I'm a priest and, and a king, and I have the army of God behind me. If I stand here and declare that he will reign here, and the, the fruit of his spirit will reign through me, and I'm going to be the kingdom here he will win, and we will win. And joy will take over. Hope will take over. Peace will take over. Guys, you're not victims of the environment you're in. You're a priest. 
You are designed and called, like Joshua and the people of Israel were designed and called, to bring celebration and praise. See, when Joshua kneels down in front of the angel, there was obviously this overwhelming reverence, but there was also this wonderful yieldedness in him to where he said, what do you want me to do? What is your command? I'll do it. That's all God requires of this generation of priests. God, what will you ask me to do? And I'll do it. And I'll do it knowing that you're going to go with me and whatever crazy thing you call me to, it will be accomplished because that's how big you are. That's my legacy. I am Israel. Turn to somebody and say, I am Israel. You say it in a weird voice if you want. <laughs> All right, I'm going to read this last passage and we're going to get out of here. It says, you shall march around the city. So this is this specific instruction that the angel gives to Joshua after he says this is holy ground. He says, you shall march around the city, all the warriors circling the city once, thus you shall do for six days, with seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, the priests blowing the trumpets. When they make a long blast with the ram's horn, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and all the people shall charge straight ahead. And if you continue to read, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. They literally walked around the city for seven days, blowing these horns on the seventh day, just as God told them. And I gotta tell you guys, I'm going to give you the last practical application here. Uh, uh, it's my personal one. So God, for, I was a teacher. I was a high school teacher. Seven years. After about year one, I was like, God, why am I here? I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> so I did that for six more years. And that, by the time that seventh year came up, I'm like, you have to get me out of here. I am dying. I, this, I can't do this anymore. It's not what I want to do. Love kids. Don't get me wrong. But just didn't want to do that anymore. He goes, I got something for you. Okay, next job pops up. He goes, you're going to get a job. Someone's going to offer you a job. Later that month, someone came in and was like, you'd be a great principal. I was like, no, 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 no. no. And God's like, yep, that's it. You're going to be a great principal. Take that job. So I just said, oh, okay, I don't. Uh, I'm going to do it. The teacher's walking out now. There he goes. He's, he's, he's offended. I've, I've offended Daniel, the teacher. I knew I'd do it. Um, so I, I become a principal. After a year there, I was like, no way. This is the worst job ever. You can't, you, this is not what you want me doing, is it? And, and he's like, be still, I have another job for you. I was like, great, this is going to be awesome. Later that year, I'm doing this thing, and the, the, the guy goes, we want you to be our principal at our school. And God's like, yep, that's it. I was like, no way. But I said yes, I took that job. Five years later, every year, I was like, God, are we ready to move on to something else yet? Nope, stay where you're at. Five years later, I'm at that job, and I go, surely. <laughs> you have something else for me. This can't be my long-term forever. And he's like, actually, Vince, glad you asked. I know you've been asking every month for the last 17 years. Um, you, can, you can resign at the end of this school year. So I resigned at the end of that school year. And then I was waiting. And I was doing things like every day, waking up, praying, going, okay, what are we going to do today, God? And he would tell me, like, get on your bike and go do this. And it's, there's nothing more empowering than, like, driving around in your 20s on a bicycle uh, during the workday and looking around, like going, all right, God, what are we doing today? 
They'd be like, go talk to that person over there. I'd go talk to them. Nothing would happen other than we just had a nice conversation. God's like, that was great. <laughs> what? <laughs> that was great. Anyway, that went on for a few months. Then eventually he, was, he told me to get a real estate license. Also, no idea why that happened. But there was one day, months into me pursuing my real estate license, I was in a Home Depot, and I was walking, and I looked down, and there's a big wad of cash on the, on the ground. And I bent down and picked it up, and I was like, I just bent down and picked it up, and he goes, you'll make all the money you need to do all the ministry life that you want to do in this field, construction and real estate. And so I kept the money and walked out of the store. <laughs> I figured he dropped it there anyway, right? Um, and that was very confusing, but that's what he said. And so I get a real estate degree about whatever, however many months into almost having that. He goes, I want you to call this person. I call this person. He goes, I want you to work with him. He's going to have a job for you. I call him. I'm like, hey, I, I don't really know what you do, and I really honestly didn't. Um, I know you do something in real estate. I'd love to just work for you, maybe be like an assistant runner or whatever. I don't, I don't know what you do. And he goes, well, come on in. Well, I went in, and after, the, after we talked, he's like, no, I don't think this is a good idea. <laughs> so I, I left. I'm like, God, I think I heard wrong. He goes, nope, call him back. And I called him back a couple weeks later. And he said, all right, come back in. We'll talk again. He goes, How, instead of working for me, why don't you go interview at these other companies? They're good companies. You can get a job there. And so I did that. I interviewed. And I, after I interviewed, I got offers from both. And God's like, nope, I want you to work for that guy. And so I called him back. I said, hey, I, I want to work for you. I did the interview thing. I think it's better if I work for you. And he goes, all right, let me think about it. And he doesn't call me for like two months. God goes, call him back. I call him. He's like, no, no, I'm too busy. And a month goes by. God goes, call him back. And, and guys, listen, I'd been a teacher, like volunteering to help, you know, just kids and stuff my whole life. I eventually, after multiple times, convince him to let me work for him. And then after about a month in, he goes, I was just seeing if you were serious or not. Um, and so I got the job with him. Five, five years into that job, God gives me another job. Five years into that job, he gives me another job. None of this was preordained, but it was God in his way saying, these are arenas I want you to step into. And I have to encourage all of you, you, you can wonder about your profession and your career. Trust him. He's big. Trust your heart if you have desire towards a field. Trust your heart if you have desires towards a city. I'm called to a certain place. He will always lead you to places that require faith. You won't have the full story, but if you go to places that require faith with him, he will always be there with his army to back you up. And I just want you to know the work of the kingdom is at hand. You are in a generation who, who he will empower, but so often our lives require multiple steps and stages of obedience and yieldedness, circumcision and repentance, and just saying yes over and over again. And then he comes and he fulfills all of, not only his promise he's made you, but promise he's made for generations to that arena that he's put you in. And so I want to bless you today with hope for not just survival, hope for overcoming, conquest, and great victory, because that's God's intention for you. 
And I also want to encourage you, challenge yourself to do great acts of faith. We, for seven weeks, are going to proclaim his mighty acts. That's what Peter said. For seven weeks, we as a church are going to proclaim his mighty acts. And so for some of you, you can remember very specific instances in your life where God has worked miracles, done amazing things. Many of you, you'll just have to refer to someone else who's told you the stories of miracles and amazing things. And for some of you, you'll just need to go to the Bible and remember your family line because remember, you're Israel. And we remember these mighty acts and we proclaim a God who is capable of doing anything through us people and taking us anywhere to do anything he wants. And he'll always back us up. And I just believe after seven weeks, we're going to establish new ground as this church. We're going to begin to march through this neighborhood. We're going to begin to march around this city. We're going to begin to believe that God is going to show up and heal, restore, and set free anyone who wants it and anyone who's drawn. And we're going to go with joy, not with war. We're going to go as priests who have a voice that's backed up by a heavenly army. And we'll know that he cares and he loves and he's called me to great things. And therefore he cares and he loves and he's called you to great things. And so I just want you guys with me. Erase the past. Circumcision is as simple as God forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and set me free and start me on this journey into Jericho where I can take some ground. And he will. He will, he will. Close your eyes. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your calling and your purpose for each of us. I thank you for your, your great dreams over the city of Berkeley. We declare this a place of healing, restoration, and vision. God, that this city would send out visionaries that would change the world in their great call and their great purpose and their great hope and their great faith. And I pray that each and every person here, Father, would be spurred to hope spurred to obedience, spurred to great overcoming faith and belief that their life is for a great purpose and they're called to great things. Let us fear no longer, let us waver no longer, but God, let us be bold and courageous in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Guys, if you want prayer for any reason at all, we got a team that would love to pray for you. We're so excited for what God's doing in Berkeley and in you, so be blessed. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. God bless you.